Texas, America, and the world. This is Mark Dankoff coming to you live with the Dankoff Report on RBN on this December 1st, 2023. It is 2 p.m. Central Time. And, of course, if you are on the West Coast, it is presently high noon. If you, of course, are here in Texas, it's 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. New York, 8 p.m. in Andrew Carrington Hitchcock's London, 10 p.m. with my friends in Johannesburg and my enemies in Kiev, 11 p.m. in Moscow, 11.30 p.m. in Tehran. So let's get going. We'll have listeners, of course, in a number of those different locations. So we've gone ahead and put those different time zones up there in terms of the show roadmap and description. So here we go. We have some breaking news. Rerum Novarum reports that the ATF, the FBI, and the APD are on the scene of an incident outside the Israeli Consulate General Building in Atlanta. It has left two people injured. Burned items are seen at the scene, they tell me. Circumstances are unclear as of now. Several businesses in the Israeli Consulate are housed in the building. The Consulate General of Israel, Atlanta, told Atlanta News First that everyone in their office is okay and they are still investigating. Uh, so keep an eye on the on that as a breaking story uh, if it uh, pops up in mainstream media uh, in coming minutes. Your critical read of the day comes to us from John Helmer of Dancing with Bears via the Unce Review. I first learned about John Helmer, th- Helmer through listening to the guys at the Duran. You can get to John Helmer's site called Dancing with Bears via my news site on WordPress. Nonetheless, the publishing that he has done for the Unce Review is entitled the thousand boat blockade busting operation changes everything on the gaza front if it materializes there is one way says helmer in which regional war against israel can be waged by the arab states turkey iran russia and even china to which israel and the united states are vulnerable against which they cannot achieve a quick and conclusive end to hamas and prevent a multi-front long and ruinous war for israel and against which the Israelis and Americans cannot fight by a firepower escalation against the major states when Israel's survival chances are far lower than the U.S. will risk. This is proxy war by swarm. By swarm, says Helmer. The Houthis, for example, have been practicing this on a sub-swarm scale with modest drone and missile salvos aimed at Israel's southern coastline, the Eilat port, and vessel movement up and down the Red Sea, as well as one Israeli-owned vessel capture on November 19th. If you start seeing this in mass, uh, remember that you heard it first from John Helmer of Dancing with Bears, secondarily via UNS, and finally via the Dankoff Report. Henry Kissinger's reverse rapture into hell, if you want to put it that way, took place here in the last several days. You will want to take a look at Kevin Barrett's post for VT Foreign Policy. Quote, Kissinger arrives in hell, appointed permanent national security advisor, unquote. And in this particular case, (laughs) I'll let you read on the roadmap what the uh, excerpts of that article are. You can imagine that it's a combination of truth uh, and black humor and satire. But nonetheless, uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett has done a very, very good job as a senior editor for VT Foreign Policy uh, in posting that particular effort. The Intercept has one entitled Henry Kissinger, top U.S. diplomat responsible for millions of deaths, dies at 100. The Intercept says that there were few people who have had a hand in as much death and destruction 
as much human suffering in so many places around the world as Henry Kissinger, said veteran war crimes prosecutor Reed Brody. Take a look at what The Intercept has to say, again, about the uh, recently departed Henry Kissinger. Uh, You know, I met Dr. Death once when I was in high school. Uh, I was in Hawaii. Uh, my dad was stationed at Hickam Air Force Base, and I think it was long about the 1st of September in 1972 that when uh, Admiral McCain, John McCain's father, uh, was having his retirement ceremony as the commander of all Pacific forces. It was being held at the Hickam Air Force Base because of the huge ball that was available there. That I had an opportunity to meet Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger, uh, and Admiral McCain in kind of a hi-how-are-you kind of way. How did I get that opportunity? Well, in those days, I was dumb enough to be involved with high school Republicans at Iolani School in Honolulu. Uh, Enough said about that. I I think I have grown a little bit politically (laughs) in the last 50 years, but nonetheless, here on this radio broadcast, I can tell you, that I'm still washing my right hand after shaking the right hand of Henry Kissinger. The passing of Sandra Day O'Connor today, uh, that is, of course, being duly noted in all of mainstream media. Uh, I have referenced a story uh, that uh, first appeared in the Unce Review, Carl Hamer's story entitled Jewish Control of U.S. Presidents. Uh, Ronald Reagan, he cites in this particular article, which we have posted. This goes back to when I was at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in suburban Chicago years ago. My academic advisor, Dr. Harold O.J. Brown of Harvard fame, uh, was working assiduously for the uh, election of Ronald Reagan uh, to benefit the pro-life movement. It was a very difficult thing for Dr. Brown to discover that uh, when Reagan was inaugurated, it seemed that the uh, invitation invitations were barely dry in terms of the print before he put a pro-choice uh, justice on the Supreme Court. That was Sandra Day O'Connor of Arizona. And, of course, that caused a public brouhaha between Jerry Falwell and uh, one Barry Goldwater. Uh, go back and research that story and you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, but it does point out that campaign promises, even campaign promises made to very key constituencies within a winning coalition for a president of the United States, uh, sometimes don't work out. Sometimes those constituencies feel very betrayed. Uh, For those of you who, of course, are Trump fans, you might want to keep a close eye on his very, very close relationship with the Israeli lobby such as that has been the case for a long, long period of time. When it comes to the whole issue of Israel, we might ask ourselves, will Donald Trump be any better than Joe Biden? Uh, That's a very, very compelling question going into the 2024 elections. If Trump should prove to be the Republican nominee, the bad news is that all of uh, the other people running in the Republican Party would seem to be even more, more strengthened in their Zionist commitments than Trump himself. At any rate, this whole business of Ronald Reagan and Sandra Day O'Connor and Jerry Falwell and Barry Goldwater brings back a lot of memories about things that happen uh, in the political game uh, that the true believers end up being surprised by and in some cases devastated by. Have you heard of white lung pneumonia? Get ready, folks. The U.K. Daily Mail has a story out there. Now Massachusetts says it's being hit by a wave of pneumonia in children as an Ohio county issues a white lung warning. 
after China and Europe saw surges in cases and hospitalizations. Global Dissident also reports on this story, and it says that Ohio has begun reporting cases of white lung pneumonia, uh, along with Massachusetts. But Global Dissident adds something. A reminder, the 2024 election is less than a year away, quote, unquote. Are we heading for a world war? Are we heading for yet another illness lockdown? Are we heading with even more dramatic and draconian forms of action to suppress honest dissidents from these policies that our own government is pursuing, along with uh, its counterparts in the EU? Uh, Keep an eye on this. I suspect the answer to that is yes. I happen to have a close friend, by the way, who has a grandchild that recently was admitted to a hospital, an ER room in Cincinnati, with these kinds of symptoms. After sharing this information with my friend of long-standing duration, he's beginning to wonder if, in fact, that wasn't a case of what is being reported by the UK Daily Mail and also by Global Dissident. One thing we can be sure of, and that is uh, our people like Fauci and Gates, of course, will undoubtedly have a a vaccine that is available to come off the shelf in the next 10 seconds. Go on to the Russian-Ukrainian war now. South Front has a video entitled Zelensky Acknowledges Defeat. The Ukrainian army goes on the defensive. Very obvious that when you look at Kupiansk, Bakhmut has been solidified in Russian control by the Russian takeover of Kromovo. Avdiivka is under Russian siege and encirclement. This will, once the Russians have Avdiivka in hand, will end artillery strikes on the part of the Ukrainians against Donetsk City. And this Zaporozhia-based counteroffensive has been stymied. It never really got off the ground. And, of course, this whole business of a trying, to, trying to establish a major foothold on the east, back, east bank of the Dnieper River is proving to be a failure as well. I will get into quite shortly uh, the basic facts as we know them from a variety of different sources on the actual Ukrainian uh, casualty totals since the 4th of June not to mention since a uh, year ago in February, and that deals with men, and it also deals with materiel. Uh, Those losses are absolutely dreadful, and uh, nonetheless, Zelensky at this point appears to be trying to press on. But how long will he last? Patrick Slattery, of course, my old pal at uh, National Bugle Radio, he and I have been speculating for quite a number of months now, that Zelensky would probably go down courtesy of a military coup as things continue to go south for Zelensky. There are all kinds of things now appearing in mainstream and in alternate media in all the right places that suggest uh, that this is precisely what is going on in a power struggle in Kiev. South Front is reporting that the former spy chief and uh, the former spy chief of the GUR says that uh, uh, Krylo Budinov, the current chief of the GUR, that his wife was poisoned the other day along with other officials as a power struggle rages in Kiev, says South Front. The wife of the head of Ukraine's main intelligence directorate, the GUR of the Ministry of Defense, uh, Krylo Budinov, Mariana Budinova, was poisoned along with several other GUR employees, said Andrei Yusov, a spokesperson of Ukraine's GUR military intelligence directorate. Her poisoning is likely the latest event, says South Front, 
in the deepening power struggle in the Kiev regime. It is unlikely, says South Front, that these incidents are happening in isolation. The string of murder attempts, the calls for resignation, the canceling of elections, character assassinations, and much more point to a major power struggle in Kiev. The poisoning of Budinova is likely the latest event in this power struggle, but it certainly will not be the last, unquote. And of course, when you think about this sort of thing, uh, the GUR has had its hands in all kinds of satanic operations, including, not, not limited to, but including the assassination of Daria Dugina in Moscow a year ago on August 20th. So all of these things that have been going on with that intelligence agency are apparently coming home to roost with a big power struggle within the GUR, as well as a power struggle that apparently involves General Zaluzny uh, and uh, your favorite Jewish drag queen comedian in Kiev, Mr. Zelensky. And in this regard, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, especially since polls over there that are being taken, to the extent that we can take them seriously, seem to suggest that Zaluzny is gaining in popularity in that country at the same time that Zelensky and Joe Biden are headed into the eternal toy-toy. So keep an eye on that story. Alexander Mercurius for the Duran uh, has a new video that hasn't been out there that many minutes. I put it into your show post. It's entitled, Zelensky admits counteroffensive defeat, rejects talks, hints mobilization. Uh, with what, Zelensky? But nonetheless, hints mobilization, Zaluzny sacking. So Zelensky is saying, well, we're going to continue, we're going to mobilize, I'm going to get rid of Zaluzny. Yeah, sure. Uh, In this regard, of course, Shoigu, the defense minister of Russia, uh, says that the Ukrainians have lost 125,000 troops in the last six months. There are independent accounts of all of this that would tend to corroborate uh, what the defense minister, uh, Sergei Shoigu, is saying in this regard, and I'll get to that shortly. South Front also reports that the liberation of Kromovo, of course, is an important victory of the Russian military. It marks the decisive offensive of Russian forces in the Bakhmut region. You know, you may remember that uh, with the Wagner group, that when they announced that they had Bakhmut, and uh, this is a situation uh, where they at one level did, they nonetheless did not secure uh, important locations west of Bakhmut and northwest of Bakhmut. The liberation of Kromovo is an important key uh, to mopping up that whole situation and tying up that loose end. Ukrainian defense by units exhausted by prolonged fighting risk collapsing. Strategic reserves of the AFU were sent to the Avdiivka region, or the front where the AFU is also retreating. The dreams of the Kiev regime to take back control of Bakhmut are ruined. The battle for Chasov Yar, a strategically important Ukrainian stronghold, is coming. The control of the town paves the way to Konstantinovka, to Slavyansk and Kramatorsk. And uh, if you've been following this war since the beginning, Slavyansk and Kramatorsk are absolutely key in the ability of Ukraine to continue to hold anything at all of the Donbass. Both of those cities will definitely fall under Russian control with what seems to be happening, uh, both in regard to the whole issue of Kromovo and Avdiivka and Chasov Yar, which is coming. And, of course, with the fall of Chasov Yar, uh, you would have Konstantinovka and Slavyansk and Kramatorsk 
coming under Russian military control, however long that takes. And at that particular point, uh, Zelensky will absolutely be finished. South Front, of course, also reports what I have already mentioned, and that is that uh, uh, General Sergei Shoigu, the head of the uh, Russian Defense Department, says that Kiev has lost more than 125,000 servicemen in their failed counteroffensive. According to the Russian military, the armed forces of Ukraine lost over 125,000 servicemen and 16,000 units of various military equipment in six months in this so-called counteroffensive. The Kiev officials don't reveal their losses. According to open sources, the losses of the AFU since the beginning of Russian military operations exceeded 500,000 servicemen. This would seem to coincide with what Colonel Douglas McGregor has been telling us, both on Fox News and in his posts on YouTube. This is not too far removed from the kind of information that you're going to see from Brian Berletic at the New Atlas that you're going to get from ex-CIA analyst Larry Johnson over at Sonar 21, or certainly Colonel McGregor, or uh, uh, John Helmer at uh, Dances with Bears. Uh, I think we can, when we start looking at all of the analysis that these fellows bring to this picture, when you look at all the videos and follow the maps and see all of these dreadful war videos over time, both as these fights are taking place as well as the horrific aftermath, uh, I am prepared to believe that these figures are absolutely ballpark. If they are, then this would mean essentially that the uh, Ukrainians since last uh, a year ago in February, uh, that they have lost 500,000 servicemen uh, killed, heavily wounded or captured. And the total losses of the Ukrainian army uh, in all of these different categories, according to Shoigu, uh, basically amount to roughly a million people. Uh, this doesn't deal with the millions that have already fled that country, by the way. And so we're looking at a circumstance where I think reasonable people can see that the longer this war continues, the longer NATO and the United States and Britain and Germany in particular keep pumping weapons uh, into Z uh, Zelensky's failed effort, it will only prolong the agony, it will only prolong the death, and ultimately I think we can foresee a situation where Ukraine, as we have noted in the recent years, would simply cease to exist. So let's hope that there's some sanity on both sides especially the Ukrainian side and especially with their backers and that they realize or should realize that enough is absolutely enough. This war, and I have said this from the beginning and all of the available evidence is there to prove this, if the West had stuck by the Minsk One and Minsk Two Accords, if Boris Johnson and Joe Biden had not convinced Zelensky to renege on an agreement that he tentatively had reached with the Russians in Istanbul a year ago in late March, all of this death and destruction would never have happened. The Russians at that time were insisting on basically just a couple of things, that uh, Zelensky and Ukraine stay out of NATO and that there be some kind of security guarantee that would involve uh, the Russia, Russian ethnics in Donbass. That was basically the agreement uh, in, in summation. Uh, Boris Johnson really laid it on Zelensky uh, not to agree to a thing, 
that all the weaponry that he and Biden and the EU and NATO would pump into this situation would result in an all-out victory on the part of Ukraine and the total defeat and encirclement of Vladimir Putin and Russia. Didn't quite happen, did it? Well, keep an eye on that story, because if this thing finally comes to a new diplomatic settlement, there is no way that Zelensky in Ukraine are going to get anything approaching the terms that they would have had had Kiev uh, uh, in uh, in the West uh, honored Minsk one and Minsk two, and had the uh, agreement in Istanbul uh, a year ago in March been honored by the Ukrainians and by Zelensky uh, and by their backers, who ultimately talked them out of doing the right thing, only to see their political, economic, and military destruction and the horrible, horrible suffering and the loss of life on the part of those who were simply caught on the ground at the wrong time. Zero Hedge is reporting something that has been published by Simon Watkins of OilPrice.com. And what he is basically indicating is that, in fact, senior Russian oil industry sources uh, are saying that uh, they, the Russians, uh, are basically going to get the lion's share of Iraq's Erido oil field holdings between 7 and 10 billion reserves. This will also involve China. This also involves a situation uh, where pressure coming from Russia and China on Japan will cause the Japanese, uh, it is assumed, to sell their 40 percent in the bloc region in question uh, in order that with all of the involvement of the United States and Iraq and low these many years, when it comes to the oil industry, they are quite likely to be relative total losers in that circumstance. Keep an eye on that story. Israeli-Palestinian shooting resumed today, by the way. There are so many blood and guts stories on this that are out there on things as they are breaking, involving both Gaza as well as southern Lebanon, as well as the West Bank, but I cannot possibly cover them for you. Uh, I wouldn't have enough space in my roadmap to cover all of the things that are available to look at, some of which are almost beyond wanting to look at in regard to the best news sources on Telegram. Uh, But nonetheless, I will give you a couple of these that are particularly indicative of exactly where this thing is going. South Front provided me with totals from Military Wave. Uh, I don't subscribe to Military Wave. I could on Telegram. Perhaps I will. South Front advised me on this Military Wave story and I basically entitled it Genocidal Totals in Gaza as Shooting Resumes Today. Now, these are the latest death tolls prior to this so-called truce of four days. The truce has now ceased to be. The fighting has resumed. But as of, say, four days ago, these are the latest figures on Gaza from the Swiss-based Euromed Human Rights Monitor revealing the incredible scale of this atrocity. I want you to listen to these figures very carefully, folks. 8,176 children murdered and 4,112 women. That is a total of approximately 61% of those that had lost their lives. 92% of the dead are civilians. That's 18,460 out of a total of 20,031 up to this point. Displaced people, 1,730,000 already displaced from where they were when all of this started, that represents more than 80% of Gaza's population. 
and more displacement, I'm sure, is coming uh, via these ongoing Israeli military actions to basically and obviously destroy that region and to kill everyone who uh, does not want to leave. So keep an eye on the on the figures in the next few days. But in just 49 days, all of this has happened. In just 49 days, what does this mean? An average of 167 children murdered per day, that is seven every hour or one every eight minutes. An average of 377 civilians murdered per day, that is almost 16 every hour. I don't think this has many parallels, folks, in post-World War II history. Probably no parallels. Reference this with the war in Ukraine. In the war in Ukraine in 20 months, You've had 9,614 civilian deaths, according to uh, our friends in Switzerland. So given that this is a population 22 times smaller than that of Ukraine, speaking of Gaza, and that we are talking about 49 days instead of 20 months, this war in Gaza is 520, 520 times more lethal for civilians uh, than this conflict between the Russians and Zelensky. Uh, Keep an eye on that. Keep your ear to the track and uh, don't lose sight of the fact that the power that is enabling all of this stuff to go on uh, is, in fact, uh, the United States of America. So uh, just uh, keep an eye on this. Obviously, uh, it's something where it's going to continue to worsen. And the longer this goes, the longer this goes, the worse it's going to be for everyone involved and the greater the risk of a false flag operation or incident taking place that would draw the United States into a much bigger military conflict. And by that, of course, uh, I'm referring to what the United States is doing with the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower uh, Carrier Task Force, now located in the Persian Gulf and in the Strait of Hormuz, uh, at least in the last 24 hours or so. And in this regard, as we consider all of that, Uh, It's uh, very, very clear that when the United States deployed two aircraft carrier task force uh, forces to that basic region and began to uh, deploy at least 2000 Marines on an amphibious landing craft and began to began to put all kinds of additional uh, aerial defense units into that region. Speaking of uh, the Patriot missile system and HIMARS, just two examples that what is being planned quite quite obviously well transcends the mere situation, the tragic situation in Gaza. It would appear to point to a much larger regional war that is coming that the United States is preparing for. And uh, don't be surprised if that false flag attack occurs in a context which will then provide legitimacy or a cloak of legitimacy, I should say, uh, for a Zio-American attack on Iran And once that happens, I think we can fairly see that all of this is going to go completely global. The Iranians are aware of this. They are clearly uh, preparing themselves for this eventuality. And then, of course, when we start looking at the rest of the Shia crescent uh, involving Assad's Syria and involving uh, Shia assets in Iraq and involving Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, uh, they recognize precisely what seems to be transpiring And uh, they're ready to fight to the death in a circumstance that sadly will not only mean death and destruction for that area, uh, but once the United States attacks Iran, if God forbid that does happen, 
then I think you can assume that other major power involvement in this situation will transpire, especially Russia. And then the uh, the wild card of China, would they become directly involved in a military conflict in the Middle East? Or would that be primarily left to Russia uh, while the Chinese begin their operations in the South China Sea and against Taiwan? You can see all the possibilities here. But uh, the long and the short of it is that this is a dreadful, dreadful situation and is not uh, not likely to go anywhere but worse uh, in coming days and in coming weeks. Uh, by the way, in terms of the Russian-Ukrainian involvement, you talk about all of the money that the United States and the EU and NATO have pumped into Zelensky's efforts in Ukraine uh, and that have been pumped into that country since the illegal illegal American coup d'etat in Kiev in February of 2014, uh, the billions are absolutely staggering. And yet when it comes to loss of life, uh, the lion's share of that has been on the Ukrainian side, no matter how many armaments or nobody, no matter how many billions of dollars end up in that country or end up in Zelensky's coffers in places like Miami, right, and Tel Aviv, and uh, who knows, Brussels and Geneva maybe, uh, this is a very, very despicable situation, especially as it involves uh, a circumstance where just since this counteroffensive, the Ukrainians uh, have lost, say, some 100 to 150,000 men just since June 4th. They have lost in this counteroffensive of theirs uh, some 200 square miles of territory to the Russians. That's some counteroffensive. But at least at this point, Zelensky gives every indication of wanting to continue with this madness. How far do his backers go with him, especially since they are now beginning to divert all kinds of resources away from Zelensky and toward Mr. Netanyahu in this effort in Gaza and in this effort in the West Bank? Uh, it's, uh, it's anyone's guess, but uh, quite obviously there is one ultimate loser uh, in this entire tragedy and that is the innocent people of Ukraine. This whole thing, again, going back to Minsk One and Minsk Two, and the uh, Istanbul Agreement reached tentatively between the Russians and Zelensky in uh, March of last year. Had any of that been adhered to, we would not be talking about a war now. We would not be talking about this uh, absolutely obscene waste of uh, human resources in terms of billions of dollars, the wreckage of all of this equipment, but most importantly, the tragic loss of innocent human lives on both sides in this war. And uh, if the statistics that I have quoted are at all accurate, and I believe them to be on the basis of the sources that I have cited for you uh, that uh, tend to corroborate these Russian figures in some fashion or another, uh, the Ukrainians have lost uh, at least half a million men uh, and in terms of all the different categories beyond the, the mere uh, the counting of those who have died, this counts, uh, counts those who have been wounded, those who are missing in action, those who have been captured, that actual figure, again, is approximately one, uh, one million people. Uh, and when we think about it, what's going to happen in terms of loss of life if this Gazan thing is not brought to a halt? And if uh, Israel is not forced into a legitimate negotiation on the basis of the so-called two-state solution, uh, as they have continued stealing property uh, for many years, even as they talked about a two-state solution, 
Uh, this is now on the brink of a third world war. I don't think we can even speculate as to the number of casualties that will come out of a global conflict that, again, may well uh, may well be launched by the United States in the attack on Iran uh, that the Zionist entity has wished for for a very long, long period of time. In terms of culture today, I've got a post for you from LifeSite News. GOP Attorney General uh, Attorneys General slam Biden's proposed rule excluding conservative Christians as foster parents. I put that link up for you. Read it at your leisure. Uh, nonetheless, that uh, that whole business with Joe Biden and his administration seems to contradict a Supreme Court case in 2021 uh, on this whole subject. How does this play out? Uh, keep an eye on this particular story, especially now that Sandra Day O'Connor is no longer with us. Uh, who will the Biden administration appoint uh, to that vacant Supreme Court seat? Uh, I can't imagine who it will be, but it will be someone presumably far, far left of Sandra Day O'Connor. And of course, this is where we get back to this whole business of politicizing the Supreme Court of the United States that has taken place with both Republicans and Democrats over a very, very long period of time. Under books, I have an absolute recommendation for you. It's a theological book. Dr. O.T. Alice, A-L-L-I-S, Oswald T. Alice. It's entitled Prophecy and the Church. Now, why am I recommending a theological book to you on this particular radio show? It is arguably... This book, The Leading Refutation of Dispensationalism and Christian Zionism, ever written by a Protestant evangelical, not a liberal, but by a Protestant evangelical from the Princeton-Westminster tradition. Yes, it's a scholarly book, but it also is very readable. Those of you who have not been to a good theological seminary, who have no backgrounds in church history or systematic theology, or looking at the Old and New Testament with the original languages and all of that sort of thing, will still profit greatly by reading this book. Uh, and I will simply say that the discussion of this book uh, involves a so-called examination of the claim of dispensationalists that the Christian church is a mystery parenthesis, which interrupts the fulfillment to Israel of the kingdom prophecies of the Old Testament. That's the uh, description of the book. It gets into all kinds of things that relate directly to the modern state of Israel and whether or not the modern state of Israel is truly sanctioned biblically uh, as all of its Christian Zionist uh, adherents like John Hagee and Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and Hal Lindsey say that it is. This book destroys many of those arguments uh, from someone with the scholarly credentials of Dr. O.T. Alice of both Princeton and Westminster. And again, I have put a couple of links up there for you where you could get to that book and understand the significance of it in regard to something that, curiously enough, was not written yesterday. You know what year this particular book was published? 1945. 1945, just as World War II was winding down, but Alice could see what was coming in terms of the Zionist movement that was leading to what became in 1947 the UN partition of Palestine. Alice understood that this whole business 
of an illegitimate understanding of Scripture on the basis of John Nelson Darby and the Plymouth Brethren in the early 19th century and the Schofield Reference Bible of the midway point of the 19th century uh, would lead the world into an incredible uh, tragedy, a global tragedy. And, of course, all these many, many years later, uh, we're talking about the fact that this book is as relevant as it was in 1945. Uh, I am unaware of any book that uh, that is any better than this one, uh, at least for my audience, as far as understanding the implications of uh, what you can watch on television uh, periodically in a place like San Antonio, Texas, or on your cable networks that carry John Hagee in a Cornerstone Church here in San Antonio. If you read Alice's book, you can see the extent to which, from my perspective, uh, John Hagee is a leading false prophet of our time, and he and those of his ilk who are behind the modern state of Israel now in regard to what is going on in Gaza and in regard to the tragedy of what continues to happen on the West Bank and in southern Lebanon and all of the crimes that have been committed uh, by uh, the state of Israel, not simply against forces in the Middle East, but also against the people and government of the United States. I'll say more about that in a minute uh, when I get to the last couple of pieces that I have written recently for VT Foreign Policy. We have one other item under books, by the way. I think you'll get a kick out of this one. The UK Daily Mail. Yeah, our fine friends there in England, they have a, they have a title uh, that I think Father John Whiteford sent this to me from Spring, Texas. He, of course, is a Russian Orthodox priest over there. Terrific guy. He's been on RBN with me once. The title of this UK Daily Mail article is Woke Books. Woke books bought for huge advances by quote-unquote inexperienced editors hired after George Floyd have flopped. These books, these woke books, including uh, a $500,000 queer feminist novel that's sold 3,500 copies, and Elliot Page's 3 million transgender memoir that sold 68 thousand copies uh, you got to read this article it's absolutely hysterical to see the extent uh to which there would appear to be some new resistance uh if not active resistance at least kind of a passive fatigue uh at being constantly uh, uh being subjected <laughs> to this sort of thing in print and in movies and so forth so the what the uk daily mail is telling us is that much like the recent bombs that have been issued by the Disney Corporation in terms of films, uh, that this would appear to be the the print equivalent of that in regard to a public that uh, either is uh, outraged by some of this uh, or that is just passively tired of it and wants to get back to uh, reading something or watching something where they're not being preached to with a, uh, with a woke perspective. Uh, and that includes, of course, all the things going on in professional sports, where one suspects that the fans of the NFL and the National Basketball Association and the National Hockey League in particular uh, might just decide that some of these messages that are sent to them via commercials and sometimes from official statements made by, made by their respective leagues, that maybe some of that simply ought to be closed and drawn to a complete halt. Got a couple of political items for you here. Uh, breaking. This comes to us again from Global Dissident. 
you know, they're uh, they're on Telegram. I found these through uh, these guys through one of my other uh, Telegram contacts that I worked with for a number of years now. Uh, but Global Dissident, if you are on Telegram and if you subscribe to some really good news sources, they're reporting that Democratic Senator Dick Durbin has just blocked Senator Marsha Blackburn's request to subpoena Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs. What are they hiding? Global Dissonant asks. What are they hiding? You can well imagine what they might be hiding, what I think they are hiding. And, of course, when you uh, have a situation where a number of people that we know who have been uh, denizens of, uh, of Epstein, the late Jeffrey Epstein's uh, pedophile island and pastimes, whose trips to Pedophile Island can be corroborated, especially those who have been there on multiple occasions. This is uh, certainly something that would make Bill Clinton rather nervous, something that would make Tony Blair rather nervous, I guess, and a series of other people whose names have already cropped up in regard to this whole issue of their longtime association with the late Jeffrey Epstein and with his uh, operation down there as well as with the Epstein-Maxwell sex trafficking and blackmail ring, which, by the way, if you're not aware of this, I will underscore it again. All of the available evidence shows that the Israeli Mossad is has been running that uh, sex and blackmail operation and get into the whole business of Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Robert Maxwell. Uh, this is where with the late Gordon Thomas, uh, and his colleague uh, uh, Matthew Dillon there have uh, a terrific book that's available on the senior Maxwell, and it's entitled uh, Robert Maxwell, Israel's Super Spy, I think is the name of the book. But uh, keep an eye uh, on all of this because uh, a lot of folks are very much aware of the fact, that despite all of the arrests that have been made in this case, especially the arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell, that uh, we have not been getting a lot of information, if any, as to uh, individuals that uh, should be uh, at least looked into, if not formally charged with activity in this sordid business. But it all just seems to float away, doesn't it? Uh, the media has let this whole issue kind of fade away into the background, uh, certainly subsequent to Mr. Epstein's <clears throat> suicide in jail, when I guess... Uh, the security cameras stopped working for a while uh, and the guard or guards involved in his security uh, all decided to go on break at the same time or whatever the story was. Uh, this is the contempt uh, that the global political elite and the elite political people in the United States have for you and me as average citizens, folks. But uh, hopefully at some point there will be a little bit of justice uh, in regard to finally being able to find out more of the truth about who all has been involved in that situation. But don't hold your breath, despite these uh, ongoing attempts to continue declassifying uh, papers related to the Kennedy assassination. Here we are 60 years later, and the federal government of the United States continues to hold papers related to that event on November the 22nd, 1963, uh, that might not see the light of day ever or for another 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, right? Uh, again, that's your government at work as it attempts to conceal the truth on matters that uh, you and I should be fully informed about by our government and that we never have been.
Andrew Anglin at the Unce Review, by the way, uh, has a piece out there uh, for, uh, entitled The Anti-Semitism Hoax Has Officially Collapsed. Jews don't know it yet, but it's over. This is a fascinating piece because, because of course, with the totally indefensible character of this uh, war on civilians in Gaza, uh, which obviously is designed to kill as many as possible and to displace the rest from the land that they have been occupying, that uh, uh, as more and more people uh, stop buying the Israeli narrative, as more and more people see the Israelis not as victims but as perpetrators, uh, this whole business of claiming anti-Semitism, quote-unquote, uh, anytime Israel is criticized or a Jewish organization uh, or individual is criticized in the United States or in Europe, uh, Anglin tells us that that's worn so thin now that uh, this whole hoax, as he puts it, that's his term, uh, has officially collapsed. Jews don't know it yet, he says, but it's over. Anglin says, and I'm quoting him here now, here are a few examples of Jewish behavior that I took issue with. Working to undermine and destroy the Christian religion, controlling the news media and using it to undermine the United States, controlling the entertainment media and using it to undermine family values and basic morals, infiltrating the U.S. government and using our foreign policy to push the agenda of the Jews, including sending Americans to many wars in the Middle East, producing and distributing pornography, pushing feminism as a way to undermine the family, promoting and normalizing homosexuality, pushing the tranny and child tranny agenda, using the quote-unquote civil rights movement to promote racial strife, pushing mass immigration with the explicit goal of making whites minorities in their own countries, pushing mass censorship, not just of criticism of the Jews directly, but of all Jewish agendas, pushing abortion, pushing for gun control, creating communism, engaging in usury-oriented financial swindles through the Federal Reserve System and Wall Street, engaging in widespread political corruption, including uh, through IPAC, the uh, American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, which bribes politicians who pledge allegiance to Israel and destroys politicians who don't. The list obviously goes on, says Anglin. Take a look at that piece because, of course, Andrew Anglin at one time would have been seen as way out on the periphery of this particular argument or debate. He's starting to look more mainstream all the time as the veneer of what the Israelis have been doing in Palestine for a long, long period of time uh, continues to be shredded, continues to be permeated. Uh, and, of course, this starts getting into the much larger list of their activities in, in Western societies uh, that uh, cause more people in various places in the political spectrum uh, to question exactly how much further we're going to let this go on, how much more tax money is going to be involved in promoting Netanyahu and company in Palestine. And last but not least, for those of us on the, uh, on the right in the United States, it uh, becomes increasingly difficult to justify uh, ongoing obeisance to the Israeli lobby when one sees not simply what they have been doing in Palestine and in Iran and in Syria and in southern Lebanon and in Libya and in Iraq and elsewhere. But uh, think of what has happened in this country in my lifetime. And, of course, all of that really began in earnest with what? The Meyer Lansky 
uh, David Ben-Gurion linked to the Kennedy assassination, as that has been chronicled by my late friend Michael Collins Piper in Final Judgment. And uh, Laurent Guyanot in, uh, in France, of course, has written a series of articles for the UNS Review on the role of Israel in both of the Kennedy assassinations, as well as a series of other activities that call into question what the relationship really is, as Greg, my old pal Greg F. Felton would put it, between the host and the parasite. By the way, this whole business of uh, uh, various nationalist movements, both in the United States, nationalist and populist movements in the United States uh, and in uh, Western Europe, uh, this gets into the question of how many of these people claim to be such, uh, but have a very close relationship to Israel and to the Israeli lobby. Press TV has a compelling article out there, uh, and it's entitled, Why Does uh, the Dutch Probable Prime Minister Geert Wilders Hate Muslims and Love Zionists? Quote unquote. It's a compelling article. Read through that, uh, because whether we're looking at Wilders uh, or we're, we're looking at the alleged nationalist who has been elected as a, a prime minister of Italy, uh, or you start looking at uh, the uh, alternative for Deutschland people in uh, Germany, uh, obviously, oh, and this gets into this guy in England, uh, Tommy Robinson, right, who uh, is, a, I think he's been involved with the Britain First movement, yet he uh, apparently has very, very close ties uh, to the uh, to the Israeli lobby in England, as near as I can tell. Uh, do these people really qualify as nationalists and populists when they at the same time have a very close working political relationship uh, with the chief driving force of globalism in our time? That's not going to go away, is it? And it's not going to go away for one Donald Trump who, despite his America First claims, has had and continues to have a very, very close relationship with a current regime in Israel, as well as the Israeli lobby historically. Uh, Trump, who Ill commissioned the illegal and ill-advised assassination of General Soleimani in the first part of 2020, uh, this Soleimani assassination showed that uh, Trump could be very, very malleable, when it comes to Zionist interests, and how is it that an America first political candidate, as Trump describes himself, once elected president of the United States, would have people like John Bolton and Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley in his administration? Uh, look out for counterfeits who claim to be America first, folks. That I think the latest instance of this involves all of the other candidates in the Republican Party. Uh, beyond Mr. Trump. And I'm thinking in particular just as two really gross examples, Ron DeSantis of Florida, and then, of course, Nikki Haley. And if, you're, if you've been following those people at all, uh, you know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. So keep an eye on this. It's going to become a very, very compelling issue in 2024. And there you have our third party independent candidate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., right? I like Kennedy, but he seems to be tripping over himself uh, to uh, display his pro-Zionist, pro-Israeli uh, positions, uh, which uh, are not, as I understand it, necessarily the positions of his uncle or his father on this subject in regard to what the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. platform would seem to suggest in regard to an absolute obeisance 
to uh, the Israeli lobby and to the Zionist agenda. That does not seem any different from that of Joe Biden uh, or of one Donald Trump. So even in third party politics, this whole thing begins to rear its head as it did years ago with the Constitution Party and Howard Phillips uh, when an allegedly America first political party uh, largely founded out of the Pat Buchanan wing of the Republican Party uh, started uh, exhibiting those sorts of tendencies with uh, possible presidential candidates like Alan Keyes, if you remember him. And then, of course, at one point, Jerome Corsi, uh, the neocon who wrote the book Atomic Iran and who was on this show, on this network with me years ago, uh, he could not wait to tell us how many of his friends were in the Israeli Knesset and uh, the close relationship that he had uh, with Israeli intelligence sources at that time. This was a guy that Howard Phillips of the Constitution Party was promoting at one juncture to be the Constitution Party's candidate for president of the United States. It was largely that radio show that did coursing in in regard to the American populist populist right. But it definitely opened a lot of people's eyes as the dangers of Zionist infiltration, not simply of the Republican and Democratic parties. When we start looking at third party movements left and right who have major difficulties in this country for three reasons. They don't have corporate money. They don't have corporate media exposure. And then the ballot access laws make it absolutely prohibitive to run an effective uh, campaign in all 50 states, as uh, Mr. Kennedy is finding out now as he's battling that issue out for himself in regard to getting on the ballot in as many places as possible. Uh, having said all of that, nonetheless, the Zionists have always been interested in ensuring that everything from the Tea Party movement to the Constitution Party uh, to World Net Daily and Newsmax and so forth uh, retain a strong pro-Israel, pro-Zionist orientation when so much of what that orientation represents is absolutely not in the interest in the in, with the constituency that listens to these shows uh, and that reads these publications. Uh, Reed Irvine's accuracy and media being a case in point. So that's uh, something that we need to keep an eye on at the same time that BitChute has a leaked audio out there of ADL chief executive Jonathan Greenblatt freaking out because global youth aren't buying Israel's propaganda anymore, quote unquote. I'll let you read the rest of that excerpt and watch that video. It is there uh, for you uh, for your perusal. KSAT 12 ABC here in San Antonio reports that the DA's office in three months in Bear County has dismissed more than 6,000 criminal cases. Uh, this is absolutely amazing that uh, the current DA in San Antonio, Joe Gonzalez, has dismissed 45.7 more cases than the former DA, Nico LaHood. Uh, you will remember, of course, folks, it's a matter of public record even here in San Antonio, that Joe Gonzalez... Uh, was receiving both when he ran successfully the first time as well as when he was reelected this last time uh, Boku bucks from one George Soros of the Open Society Foundation so if you don't like all of these criminals getting out of getting out of uh, circumstances um, where they should be in jail or worse uh, blame it on your DA but the ultimate place to put the blame it seems to me, is on one globalist by the name of George Soros, 
who is uh, buying as many district attorneys in this in this country, apparently in all these different urban locations, in the same way that he buys politicians like Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. Enough said. This is absolutely one here, folks, that uh, you need to take a look at. History. Intel Slava reports about the time a Russian destroyer saved American lives. June 8, 1967, a Russian destroyer assisted assisted the USS Liberty after the infamous attack of Israel, the deliberate attack of Israel on that American vessel. I want you to take a look at that one. And then, of course, my reasons for VK foreign policy are up there, as well as some new information in photography on the ice bowl game between Green Bay and Dallas some 56 years ago. Well, we covered a lot of territory in the last hour for you. You have a great holiday season coming up here this month, and I will see you next week, but at 1 p.m. Central Time, beginning next week. 1 p.m. Central Time, not 2. So tune me in at 1300 hours or 1 p.m. Central, and we'll saddle up again on the Dan Coff Report live from San Antonio, Texas, on RBN. God bless. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilajit by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 